You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe, and you're very welcome to the podcast. Everyone has a light bulb moment in their life that leads to change, and life changing events is a very topical subject as we come out of the pandemic and the world experiences new conflict. This emotional intelligence podcast has a simple premise that elicits some fascinating insights from our guests. Every Wednesday, I will be asking a special guest for their moments of clarity that contributed to changes in the course of their life journey. This season, the podcast will feature global experts on emotions, change and leadership, sharing real-life experiences and how they've used emotional intelligence to see the world and themselves more clearly. For more information on emotional intelligence and Six Seconds Europe, visit our website, sixseconds.org-eu. Our guest today is Kier McConville, who is the Global Content Advisor for the charity Concern Worldwide. Concern Worldwide is Ireland's largest aid and humanitarian agency. Concern is heavily involved in a number of Ukrainian projects and Kieran has recently visited that country. Kieran tells us today about his charity work, his trip there and how the public can help the people of Ukraine. So Kieran, you're, you're very welcome to the podcast. Where are you based now? You're in New York, is that right? I'm currently, I'm currently in New York. I split my time between New York and Ireland, yeah. So your charity Concern are doing a lot of work in the Ukraine. You you recently were over there, weren't you? I was just after the conflict broke out. Um, you know, it, it started on the twenty fourth of of February. Um, Concern decided to send in um, what we would describe as an emergency assessment team. So basically, in a situation where there is what they call a sudden onset emergency, the first thing to do is to get in and to get as much information as you possibly can. Uh, to, to get the lie of the land, to meet the various different people involved. You know, I think often the uh, vision that people have is that you pack up the trucks and off you go uh, to respond to an emergency. Um, but it, especially in something like this, and especially in a conflict, it's so fluid. There's so much going on. You have to try to almost predict uh, what's going to happen, where people are moving to. There's no point in going in and setting up our operations in a place where people are going to be gone from in in you know a few days time um and so a lot of a lot of information gathering intelligence gathering sort of from a humanitarian point of view and how did you find the situation there what was it like well we, we spent the first week that i was there going down through the various border crossings and you will have seen a lot of footage from these border crossings that mm. the main one is medica in um, poland we also went down through slovakia hungary Moldova, and Romania, to take a look at those crossings. And as you saw from those images, huge numbers of people crossing the borders into Europe. It, it's quite a stunning spectacle to witness. It's like something you would see from history, this mass movement of people. Now, at the beginning, it was very slow and truncated as they tried to adapt their sort of border systems to this um, and there was you know a, a sort of an ad hoc response started up on the border with government agencies with you know local uh, authorities with civic groups local groups all sorts of people and w- within the space of a week there was this amazing response all across these border countries 
meeting people as they were coming across, giving them the sort of necessities that they might need. You know, a lot of these people had been on the move for three, four, five, six days in very difficult circumstances. At the beginning, a lot of people were queuing for days to try and cross the borders. So warm clothes, food, uh, and a whole network of transport set up to transport people across to other parts of whatever country they've come into or beyond. Uh, and as you you'll probably know, a lot of people who came across initially would have been those people who had the sort of means to move, mm. had the connections. There's a huge Ukrainian diaspora in, in Europe, um, not just Poland, but also all across Europe. Um, and that has swollen since the conflict be began in the east of Ukraine in 2014. So a lot of people with friends, relatives, and the means to get there and places to go so that that was sort of that initial wave of people and it was huge um, and a lot of people bringing with them you know, quite traumatic stories of the journeys I, I met people who left the east say for example that Donbass region who had left literally with bombs falling around them as they would say themselves uh, people who have discovered that their homes were subsequently destroyed you also had this scenario of women kissing their husbands goodbye at the border, kids waving goodbye to their dads, because most men are not allowed to leave the country. So it's mostly women and children leaving. And that's obviously a, a hugely traumatic event to break up a family like that and to not know when you may or may not see each other again. So quite startling scenes. So a figure of, say, the, that first wave, it was like a million people had left. And now they're talking about, say, as you said, from the east to the west, people are moving within Ukraine and they're up to seven million. I think a lot of the focus has been on the people who left Ukraine. Um, but the majority of people who have been displaced from their homes are within the country itself. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. A lot of the people that are leaving now have had no choice but to leave because of the intensity of the conflict around them. But also people who don't have those sort of connections, who may not have traveled abroad, who do not have family and friends in Europe. There are people who don't have the resources to, to go far people who don't speak anything other than Ukrainian and the concept of leaving your country and going to a foreign land where you don't know the systems, you don't know anybody, you're sort of at the mercy of, of, of the world at large is, is quite overwhelming. And also people want to try to stay as close as they can to home because there is this abiding hope that they will be able to go back. Uh, and, you know, I think, Initially, when this broke out, a lot of people, despite the fact that we all heard these warnings for a couple of weeks, a few weeks beforehand, a lot of people were really taken by surprise that this actually happened. Um, and a lot of people left with, with very little. There are actually some people going back who left the country. But within Ukraine, yes, there are probably in excess of six million people displaced. And that means that they're living in other communities, mostly in the west and the center of Ukraine, that are relatively safe. 
for now uh, that haven't been directly affected by the conflict. Uh, I was at a town to the south of Lviv, which would be the main city in the west. And it's a regional town, you know, but say, for example, the size of somewhere like Ennis, um, but 30,000 of a population. They were getting a thousand people a day coming in by train into that town. And maybe half of those people were not going onwards. They were looking for somewhere to stay. And that's a huge burden that local communities are facing. So people have opened up their homes. There's a huge sort of swell of national unity and pride uh, and support for those who have been affected. Gymnasiums, schools, kindergartens being turned into these temporary homes or hostels for people who have been displaced. Um, but like it's quite an overwhelming number of people. You know? Are they able to cope then with that situation at the moment or how is it going? Ukraine is, to a large extent, it's quite a, it has it's been quite a successful country economically um, in recent decades. It's, you know, there are lots of resources in Ukraine, but also this is a, this is a huge burden. You're talking about a country that's at conflict. You're talking about a country like all of the rest of us that's come through a pandemic over the last two years, which has been True. very difficult. So you, you would say that everybody has stepped up um, and made this effort to cope and to accommodate these internally displaced people, but it is quite overwhelming. And, you know, for example, I met this amazing lady, Helena, who runs a kindergarten in this town, Sambir, and, you know, a week, a couple of weeks beforehand, she was looking after kids in a kindergarten. Now she's sort of mother and guardian to 65, 70 women and children who've been displaced, some of whom are like deeply traumatized in this building. They're sleeping on mattresses on the ground. There's one shower for 65, 70 people. There, there is a you know kitchen for already cooking for kids, but that's it's something that's not sustainable you know, for people in any kind of a long term. So th the answer is it's going to be very difficult for people to continue to cope, you know, beyond that sort of first flush of enthusiasm, um, because also obviously host communities have to, you know, live and survive themselves. Um, and this is something that we see all over the world, you know, over and over again, displaced people having to go somewhere and there are what we call host communities whether it's in the south of Bangladesh for people from coming from Myanmar or in Lebanon where like a million Syrians arrived into a country that had four million people it's it's a huge burden on on local local communities and local people like are, are charities able to actually help inside Ukraine at the moment or is, is that not possible there are quite a number of organizations operating inside Ukraine, and there are, you know, lots of local organizations. Concern took the decision to move beyond the borders and go into Ukraine um, and, and to address this issue of people who are in these communities internally displaced. So uh, uh, we have a number of programs. We have the initial one, which is essentially giving out basic essential supplies to people you know, whether it's food, whether it's clothes, whether it's blankets, um, hygiene needs, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're, we're part of a, a group of other organizations, two of whom already worked inside Ukraine, which is makes it so much easier for us to operate. And there's a huge program of 
initial aid going on there. In terms of other work that we're doing farther to the east of Lviv uh, and towards the center of Ukraine, we are going into these smaller towns, regional towns, regional cities. We're supporting those centers that have become temporary home to displaced people. And it's, it's not necessarily the sort of stuff that you would ordinarily imagine or that we would necessarily be normally doing in a lot of the countries in which we work, but it, it's, it's things like toilets, showers, washing machines, um, and then there's blankets and beds and, and the other sort of basic household supplies that, that people would need. So we're going to try to support those centres, whether they're schools or hotels that have been repurposed, um, and, and get them up to a standard and support the local communities that are, that are you know, accommodating people. Um, and also then beyond that, on the basis that a lot of these people are going to be displaced you know, for a substantial amount of time and fingers crossed this conflict ends today, that would be the best thing for everybody. But you know, not everybody's going to be going home anytime soon. So there are other um, solutions that we would have used in other places, like cash. It seems like a very simple solution, but giving people the means to buy what they need themselves, as opposed to us deciding what they need and giving it to them. Um, there are ways and means to distribute cash you know, verifiably to ensure that they, it goes to the right people. Uh, and doesn't get misappropriated. Um, so we, we're experienced in that. Also things like rent supports, because people are going to rent rooms in, in, in you know, local villages and towns, uh, and we, we can support people like that. And we, we're doing it because uh, of the amazing generosity that we have seen from you know, the Irish people and from supporters you know, the concern has across the US and the, and the UK and institutional donors, you know, it, it, this has put us in a position to be able to do this, which is, which is really amazing. Also, in, in a context like this, where to a large extent, especially in Western Ukraine and, and a lot of Central Ukraine, there are still functioning markets where people can go and buy things. Um, the, the supply routes in and out of the country uh, have been slowed down because of various delays and obviously it's a you know a country in, in the middle of a conflict but there are still things to buy um, and you know the, the best way rather than us trying to figure out what people need and transporting them from all over uh, it's so much easier for people to do it themselves and you know that's one of the things that you know there are people in other contexts where we work that are not as fortunate in terms of being able to access what they need and often you know you will have to ship stuff in places but in this context it, it, it works well and they show amazing resilience um the ukrainians don't they you must have seen that there yes absolutely Re resilience resoluteness i would say uh, unity of purpose um and support for each other you know i think it's fair to say that over the years Unlike or not not unlike a lot of countries, even say for example the U.S. where I am at the moment, you know regionally there would be a lot of differences, and there would be political differences, and there would be cultural differences. Ukraine is a big country, um, and but 
a lot of that has been set aside and there is a great sort of unity uh, of purpose and uh, that's to be seen and, and people supporting each other and, and working as one. I mean, obviously we're a humanitarian organization and our focus is, is purely humanitarian. You know, the, uh, anything to do with sort of part of our, our mantra is that we need to be impartial and we need to be neutral in everything we do. But you know, just from a purely sort of the point of view of human spirit, it's amazing to see the resilience and the resoluteness of the people that we, we met in Ukraine. And how do you find that then, say, personally, emotionally, when you're going into these, if, you know, so you, when it's humanitarian, it's often conflicts or disasters going in and dealing with those people. How do you find that emotionally to, to get over that and to continue? I think you'll probably find with most people who work in the humanitarian sphere, when you're on the ground or in the communities or working, you're focused on your professional business, so to speak. Um, often it's afterwards in, in, in quieter moments when you have the time to reflect that you think about these things. And, you know, I, I have thought about this and you know the heart, some of this, the stories are truly heartbreaking and it really is horrendous to imagine you know how ordinary people's lives have been torn apart and to like such a huge extent as well you know uh, millions of people and each each one of those an individual human story um, so yeah I mean you do you do carry that with you Maybe not at the time, um, but, you know, when you get time to reflect, uh, it, it is astounding the level of suffering that has happened in such a short, short space of time. And how long have you been in concern, personally? How long have you worked there? I've been working in around concern for about 12 years. I, uh, formerly, I was um, a, a journalist and in the television and media business, um, I came to work for a concern for a year and uh, forgot to go home. So, you know, over, over that period of time, I've, you know, uh, been to a lot of places where various types of emergency has happened. And this is, this is one of the things at, the, at this moment in time that this has happened, could never happen at a good time, but this has happened at a really terrible time because there are really serious humanitarian emergencies happening elsewhere in the world. Um, there's a lot of people on the verge of famine, if not almost there, you know, in, in the Horn of Africa, there's a lot of people in Afghanistan are in serious um, trouble. Uh, there are a lot of crises happening around the world at the moment. And it's, it's difficult for people to, think about these things the focus is on ukraine and of course it should be but there is an overwhelming need going on around the world and our sort of professionals that work in concern are laser focused on on responding to these as well 
And just for people that want to get information or to help support what Concern are doing, what your website, what is your website or how can people contact you? Easiest way to get information is concern.net. And all of the contact details are there. Different humanitarian crisis that you've gone to around the world. Is there a lessons that you learn from those that helped then with Ukraine? You know, on the surface, the context in Ukraine is is quite different from a lot of the places where we have traditionally worked. But fundamentally, a lot of the the issues are the same. You know, if you're displaced from your home and have nothing but what you carry on your back. It doesn't matter whether you're in in South Sudan or the Central African Republic or Myanmar, you know, you're facing the same issues. And to a large extent, uh, even though the humanitarian business, for want of a better word, um, is all about helping people and humanity, it's also quite a technical business. So there is a huge amount of learning. We, you know, we have technical experts and advisors in, in all sorts of things uh, from you know, sort of shelter, nutrition, uh, distribution of materials, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's quite a technical business and the sort of expertise that has been built up, you know, concern has been at this for over 50 years, it started in, in, in 1968 in, in Biafra in, in West Africa. And that, um, you know, there's the experiences and the, the knowledge that have been gained from responding to crises all the time, all over the world, is part of the sort of collective knowledge. And then it always informs every one of the emergency responses that we, we would be involved in. You know, when COVID happened, um, a lot of the governments around the world started interacting for resp- a quick response and they're kind of seeing it now with Ukraine. And I'm hoping that that will be a thing that we see in the future, you know, that the international governments are working together for rapid response for whether it's humanitarian, humanitarian crisis or a political crisis. I think I hope that there's better potential for that now. Yeah, coordination is, is a big thing, figuring out the needs. And there are different types of emergency, you know, there are very sudden onset emergencies like a natural disaster, um, which involve a, a rapid response. But often, you know, the thoughtful approach is also a good one. Um, it, good headlines um, involve, you know, uh, things on trucks going in, um, you know, with, with flags on top. But, you know, looking beyond that and trying to be strategic about responding to things is important as well. And I think concern, uh, for example, is is very good at that, at analyzing and being thoughtful, you know, as well as as swift in the response. Um, it's very important and, and, you know, prioritizing needs and coordinating. Coordinating, coordination is, is a, a mantra that's repeated over and over, but everybody talking to each other to ensure that people are not duplicating efforts that the right people and the right stuff are going to the right places is, is a huge part of being effective. And, you know, people are getting better and better at that all the time. And when you say coordination, that's among different charity groups as well. Yeah. Mainly among, among organ- yeah, charity organizations, among 
government actors, among all donors. Um, you know, there are big institutional donors. So everybody talks to each other uh, and understands who can do what, where, what's needed, sharing of information. That's, again, this is all sort of technical stuff that doesn't necessarily lend itself to headlines, but it is sort of at the core of being effective, you know, as a humanitarian organization. So, Kieran, thank you so much for giving me the time and the best of luck with everything. Thank you very much, Fergal. Lovely to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed our guest this week. I would ask that you please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review so that others discover this podcast. Six Seconds is a global nonprofit dedicated to growing emotional intelligence worldwide. Our work involves supporting individuals, teams, and organizations to develop and practice emotional intelligence to help increase personal and organizational effectiveness. For more information on emotional intelligence and how Six Seconds Europe can help you, please go to sixseconds.org EU. Take care and see you next week. You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe.